Seven o'clock. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, New Freedom. Got a couple of announcements. We're going to handle this just a little different than other weeks. We, how many members do I got in the room tonight? Good deal. Thank you for being here. How many family members of members do I have in the room tonight? Thank you for being here. How many staff do I have in the room tonight? Thank you. So I got an ask of you. I'm going to hand out a sheet with some people that you can contact if you're so inclined. Many of you watched us last year when we went through an investigation and an accusation by access that we were doing things improperly. We later proved that that was not true. We've been independently audited for a full year, but for whatever reason, we believe it's spiritual. They've attacked us once again. All you members, you've seen me the last two days come to talk to you in your groups. These lists of names, if, if you are inclined to say that New Freedom has been helpful to you and you think that this level of treatment should be available to you and people in the future, we'd like for you to write, call, do whatever to the governor, the legislature, and the director of corrections. And then Chaplain Lee, Chaplain Lee, Denise, will you come up here? We're going to open with prayer and then we have a message in the spirit to those principalities that would defy us. Yeah. Chaplain Lee. If everyone will please stand to your feet. in the middle so our mics don't cross up. As Joe said, we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but principalities, rulers and darkness in high places. And we know that the fight is not ours. So we stand together in agreement right now. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time, and for this hour. We know, Lord, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. We know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. We come tonight to stand in agreement. We come tonight to come together in unity as one. One body standing, understanding that there is no weapon that will be formed against new freedom that will prosper. The devil is a liar and we bind him in the name of Jesus. We thank you right now for everything you've done, everything you're doing, but most of all for what you're about to do. We recognize, Lord, that this place has been established by you and you alone. Man could never ever orchestrated such a dynamic facility such as this. But with you, God, all things are possible. So we stand and we believe that you can do exactly what you've done before because you're known for being that kind of God. You've done it before, you'll do it again. We give you praise in advance because we know your credit is good. We do not bow down to the things of this world, but we humbly get down on our knees to bow down to you because we recognize your authority, your power, and most of all, your spirit. Your spirit rules, reigns, 
And we know, Lord, that it's in this place, the lives that have been transformed, the lives that have been delivered, the lives that have been built up to go out into society and make a transition in the community. We thank you. So now as we all stand together in agreement, we lift you up because it's you that's going to make the difference. We're not turning to man. We're not turning to computers. We're turning to you. God, you God alone. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. We ask you to bless each and every one that's in this room tonight. We ask you to bless the extended families of those that stand here tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you will just have your way in this place with every staff member, with the administration, with everyone that is here, every member that set foot on this grounds, and those that have gone on to do your will. We thank you, and we ask for that blessing upon each and everything that you have established in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray together and all touch and agree. If you're here and you believe and you have faith to believe that just like he did it before, he's going to do it again, then I want you to shout it out with me with a loud amen in the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. So one more, one more word while I have them here. Chaplain Lee and his wife, both pastors, they are the spiritual head of the New Freedom Movement, and they stand with Denise and I as the mother and father of the free, New Freedom Movement, and we, we were anointed with that title. We didn't claim that title. I just want that understood. I got a vision this morning that we are children of the promise. All of you are children of the promise. Isaac was taken up the mountain to be laid on the altar. We proudly walk our new freedom child, children of the promise, up the altar to lay it on the altar because we know before time memorial that Isaac was destined to be the father of many nations under Abraham and that promise to Abraham transfers to Isaac, transferred to Jacob, transferred to David, transferred to the living God. And what I want you to know and what I need you to do for me, even if you do not understand what's happening, I'm speaking to you in the spirit, so it is he who is speaking to you. Isaac's name in the ancient languages means one who laughs. We laugh at the principalities that would defy us. I would like for everybody to laugh, laugh at these principalities. Anybody else? All I can say is this. As Pastor Joe was just speaking, what he said about Isaac and Abraham Abraham having faith to believe he couldn't see what was getting ready to happen but he knew that he had to carry the gift that was given to him and lay it on that altar he knew regardless of what people around him thought that he couldn't stop traveling in the direction 
that he was sent. He didn't have an idea where he was going. And the same thing with us today. We're not sure where we're going. New freedom's not going to stop here. New freedom is going out into the atmosphere to many places. But the first thing is that the gift that was given by new freedom has to be laid back on the altar, sacrificing it to God and having faith to believe that God is going to provide a ram in the bush. We shall continue to laugh at the things of the enemy because we know as we stand together and believe that God is in control and no weapon formed against us shall prosper. One last thing. This Saturday night, we're having a baptism service, not in here, but out at the pool. We invite everyone to come and support those that will be getting baptized. We're looking at close to 70 people. God has arranged it. He has arranged it so that there is a special announcement to the world. All the people that will be getting baptized are announcing who they serve. And if you're a believer, I want you to come Join in, partner with us as we announce the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is going to make the difference in lives that we don't even know yet, generations that haven't even been born yet. We believe that God is going to do the miraculous. And on that night, we're going to celebrate in a big way. So please come out. If you don't remember, it starts at 7 o'clock. Doors will open at 6.15 this Saturday night. Come support your brothers and sisters. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, for all of you that are weirded out, we're going to go right into a recovery meeting. <laughs> you guys may not know the history of, of New Freedom, and if you don't, then let us tell you a little bit. New freedom is the absolutely impossible. What we have been enabled to do here by this power could not have been done any other way. Karen sits there. Karen and, and I and Denise and Maddie, Wayne, many of you here, we sat in a room at the end of a runway Lance was there, couldn't talk when the planes took off. <laughs> and we talked about an opportunity for men and women coming out of prison where they would go, they would live and be shown dignity and respect just as what was intended. And we had politicians come there and they said, well, that sounds like a great idea, but that would take a miracle of God. Well... Welcome to a miracle of God. You are all. So tonight, you're going to talk to you about steps eight and nine. Eight and nine are found in page 76 of your book. 
The reason you want to get involved in this is this is the fitness step. This is the freedom step, right? So we're on the bottom of page 76. Actually, we're right in the middle. And it says, now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Any of you recognize that from another text? So we align our faith with our works. And when people see our works and ask us how that's done, we point to our faith. Do you understand? The reason faith without works is dead for somebody with an, a disease such as addiction is that we have to prove the power to us through us. Does that make sense? And works are observable acts. So when somebody, I had a guy come here, was a consultant from North Carolina a few years ago, right after we launched, and he came in here with one of the financial partners, and he looked me right in the eye and he said, what qualifies you to do something like this? And I said, absolutely nothing. I'm qualified by identity, not accomplishment. Nobody on the planet's qualified to do that which has never been done. That's all spirit-infused. Anyone understand what I'm telling you? So this is the work. You're part of the work, and we need you to continue to be part of the work. Okay, so let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Any of you have such a list, or did you once have such a list? Where did you get it? So what they said is, we made it when we took inventory. Why do we point out to you these commonalities? Because rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. So they're laying out their path, how they came into their awakening. And so if we're on their page, then we should similarly expect to come into our awakening, shouldn't we? Okay. So it says, we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you contemplating or moving through your fourth step found it a bit drastic? How many of you contemplating it didn't start because it just looked too drastic? <laughs> okay, so we're witnessing we once thought and felt as you did, but we doubt we'd made much progress had we not taken action. Here's the action we took. This is what we experienced as a result. Make sense? So then it says, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So the authors are disclosing to us in this sentence what they discovered as they awakened was that willingness is divine power. So when I lack willingness to do that which I must, then I simply need to ask that power within me for the willingness and then move forward into that which I must do that I fear. Does that make sense? That's also why we don't want to discredit people and say you don't have willingness. Of course not, if they're not properly introduced to the power and that power empowered by our support, they won't have that power that they need to move forward. Does it make sense? Okay. So, it says, remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. With whom did we make that agreement? Yeah, they introduced us to power in two. They told us that power was God by three. Hey, all of you following us online, when we say God, they say power. And the reason for that is we walk in power here at New Freedom. 
okay? So it says probably there's still some misgivings. Any of you looking over your list of the approaches you need to make, did you experience some misgiving? So we acknowledge our frailties, right? As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel different about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Now we're talking about being captive to my thoughts of how people will perceive me if I profess the experience I've undergone. Any of you ever had, you know, something radical happen to you and then you thought, I can't tell them that. They'll think I'm crazy. So there are probably some misgivings, but we're telling you that it is that very profession that frees you. Okay. So I said, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So they're telling us a couple things there. Check yourself and see what their experience of you is before you go bringing God into it. Does that make sense? And they also told me there will be more than one approach or they wouldn't have called out the first approach. This is a new manner of living. There'll be plenty of opportunity to bear witness, and I bear witness more in my walk than my talk, especially in the beginning. Yes? Okay. So at the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God. Oh, that was weak. They can't hear you in Kingman. Maximum service to God. They're trying to hear you in Douglas, too. Especially Douglas. We got prayer warriors in Douglas. And, it, and people about us. It's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? Question mark. When they give us a question mark in this book, they're asking us to go inward. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. Check yourself, check your thoughts, check your emotions, go inward, submit them to the power within you. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. How many of you promised people that whatever it had you had going on was never going to happen again? I promise, this won't happen again. How many of you took them through it again? So it isn't what I say that they're going to notice. They're going to notice my changed nature. And one of the things about my changed nature is I no longer am demanding how they think of me. How many of you have learned that? I understand why you think that of me, and I hope someday you can be released from how you think of me. But in the interim, I have many brothers and sisters I need to serve. So, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. So they're talking to me about the power of demonstration. Are they not? So he's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. Wouldn't you be? Okay, so we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. Come on, I'm not that mesmerizing. Y'all sleeping. When it'll serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The spirit in you will inform you what tact and common sense looks like situationally. How many of you are in the spirit enough to know I'm telling you the truth? 
We will be empowered to speak the way we need to speak to who we need to speak to because we will become all things to all men in order to win a few. Because that's the power that animates us. All right, so the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be that he's done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. So they're asking me to check my ego now. That I have a part and they have a part, and we acknowledge they have a part, but it's not their part I'm suffering from. I'm suffering from my thoughts about their part, or maybe I'm suffering from my thoughts about my part, but I'm definitely not suffering from their thoughts about my part. Does it make sense? Okay, don't ask me to repeat it. I told you we were speaking to you in the spirit. I can't. Watch the recording. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. So what are they talking about? Yeah, there's a little bit of metaphor. When the horse or the animal gets the bit in the teeth, you're going where the animal wants to go. So I'm not telling I'm not going to control people and I'm not going to control thought, but I am going to, to the extent I can, control outcomes. That's right. I'm just going to lead them to, you know, a horse's drink if you get them to water, right? All right, so it's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So they're acknowledging, yes, it's going to be scary. Yes, this is going to challenge my ego, but we'll get more benefit on the other side if we'll just go on our part. Does that make sense? How many of you people, when you got a sentence and you finally reconciled yourself that you were going in for a while, once you reconciled yourself to that's what's up, like it or don't, that you found freedom in it? So we all know it's a fact, right? Okay. So it says, we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Don't get it twisted. There's a lot of instruction there. If I don't get centered in the spirit, I'm unlikely to go to them in a helpful way. Right? Because I really need to be real. I need to be authentic in my desire for them to have an opportunity to relinquish their ill thoughts of me because their ill thoughts of me, no matter how well grounded, are causing their suffering. Does that make sense? Okay. So under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. I can't say that with credibility if I don't know it to be true. If I don't do my best to straighten out the past, then my gift is unworthy at the altar. Does that make sense? Some of you felt that. Who felt that? That's the power we call God. That didn't come from up here. That's happening in you. We're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Do you notice how many times the author said the very same thing in different ways? Do you think there was a reason for that? It was probably important, and it's probably enumerating how many times they made a mistake. Any of you discovered that after you sobered up, you were still prone to mistakes? How many of you suffered mightily in your mind because you thought that you were infallible now that you were sober? 
The finished product of you is infallible before the Father. I will speak that to you now. But the human part of you is going to learn through your mistakes, and we are going to shore you up as you do so, and we'll hope you'll similarly shore us up as we move forward. Okay, so so um, says rarely... Oh, Rare, what did I do? Oh, we stick to our own. Here's the promise. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. Notice how declarative they're talking. Why can they be so declarative? Because it's their experience. The first 100. This isn't about somebody in the room who told you something different. This is their experience recorded for all time. If my manner is calm, and that means my, I appear to be calm even if I am frightened to my core because I'm empowered in the spirit to do that. If I am frank, I'm direct, I'm not trying to spin it to get a little better perspective. And if I'm open to what they have to say, then the promise, I will be gratified with the result. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it talks to us about some more promises. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. How many times? How many of you wouldn't take a 90% bet? Anybody, any gamblers in here? Most of us, even if we're not gamblers, will take a 90% shot. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of your standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. And I will tell you this about the authors. When we say rarely, we mean rarely. And my guess is that a lot of times satisfactory progress requires a little time in the process. So many of us had families that we harmed greatly. There's no denying that. And so sometimes the satisfactory progress while initiated in the moment of repentance isn't really witnessed and experienced until further down the road. Make sense? Okay, so our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So what's important, because faith without works is dead, is that I make my demonstration. It's not important how they respond. That doesn't affect, I did what I could, and now I move on. If later they're ready to hear it, by all means, I can return. Does that make sense? So they're going to tell us about some obvious stuff. <clears throat> says here, most alcoholics owe money. Any of you ever, any of you, from whatever addiction you may have had, did you ever get to recovery without owing something to somebody? I met one guy one time who claimed that, and I still don't know if I believe him. So we do not dodge our creditors. How many of y'all, when you first started cleaning up, did a little dodging of creditors? So this is learned experience. We can't run forever, right? We've got to start facing it. Okay. So tell him what, telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you discovered more people were aware of your addiction than you thought? <laughs> Sean and his daughter are here. Neither one was aware of the other one. Um, 
nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. Guys, they're not saying go out and announce to everyone you're trying to do business with what your addictive condition was before it was arrested. What we are saying is if my actions in addiction caused harm to them, they deserve to know not only do I know that happened and they didn't deserve it, but, but that I am aware that it was as a result of this. And they can do with that as they please, right? Okay, so approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. So how does one let someone know? Because clearly it's not from saying I'm sorry because, quite frankly, they'd heard that from me before. Some of them even agreed with me. So you're absolutely right, Joe. You're the sorriest sucker we ever met. Any of you ever had that experience? To let them know we're moving from here to here which means it's going to have to come to them in the spirit. So it says, our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. Fear will cause a loss of identity in me, and a self will manifest. That's why we go right wrongs, so we do not have to live in fear. Make sense? Perhaps... This, you might tune up for this. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. That ship has sailed, is that what? They're just talking about the common lies we tell ourselves to stop us from getting free of ourselves. So they're telling me that some calamity in the future prevents me from getting free now. It's a lie. Do not let fear steal from you a better version of you that already exists. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony, number one. She is indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. So we went through a bunch of common forms of trouble, but the idea isn't to identify with one. The authors are going to speak to the masses now and say, don't worry, if none of that's true, all of us have had troubles. We don't know what your troubles are, but we know what it feels like to have troubles, right? So it says, although these reparations take innumerable forms, so the reparations are what I'm going to do to vanquish those troubles. Does it make sense? So although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So let's not talk about the problems, let's talk about the solution and let's get to the general principles that will vanquish that problem. Does it make sense? Okay, so reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. Did those of you who are newer to recovery know that's what our decision was? What's the, we don't always, do we, Sean? To his point, you get here and we think the goal is to be abstinent, right? 
We celebrate abstinence. We, we don't have any idea what the goal of 12-step recovery is if all we do is go to fellowship, do we? No, because everyone celebrates abstinence. I can't live abstinent. I can't live in this world unawake and not be anesthetized. So what, what is the goal of 12-step recovery? To awaken spiritually. Which is not abstinence. It's spiritual inebriation. Ease and comfort in the world without going out in the world to get it. Okay, so here's the principle. We remind ourselves that's what we're about, the spiritual experience. We ask that we be given the strength and direction to do the right thing. We summon willingness in and through us. They've already set the foundation for that, right? And no matter what the personal consequences may be, we may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we're willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Some of you felt that. Because they're not lying to you, guys. They're being 100% real. This may, take, this may take a stripping of your ego. This may take a new launch. But if that's what's required so that you can live free for the destiny that's intended for you... Why would I run from it, given that there ain't nothing back there? Usually, however, other people are involved. So I can't go out and be heroic trying to please people or look some kind of somehow brave when other people are going down the pit with me. Does that make sense? And they're going to talk to us a little bit about that. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of drink, or resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. So here's a guy who went to AA, and he got him a job, and he was starting to be able to pay his bills, and he probably got a commitment at the meeting, and then the court order came. Wow, it's going to strip everything from me. The people at the meeting aren't going to like me. and Scary, right? So he thought he would just go throw himself on the mercy of the court with no preparation. Would have been impressive heroics, he says. If I'm trying to grow spiritually and subordinate my ego, is impressive heroics the goal? Absolutely not. So here's the AAs talking to us about him. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary. But if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. If you guys have ever been troubled or wondering who are these others they're talking about, it's the other people affected by my decisions. I never took time to think how other people would be affected by the decisions I made. I just went out and did what I did. No matter how self-destructive it was, I took them through it. Now, in the realm of the spirit, I have no right to do such things. Does that make sense? We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. 
He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Which of those things do you think would be most impactful? Sean says all of them. Somebody said money. Yeah, I think Sean's on to something. It's the entirety. It's the changed nature they get to witness. I, here's some money. I hope someday you can forgive me. I did not do this so that you could stop from prosecuting me. Of course, if you want me to go to jail, I'm also open to doing that. But I'm hoping that we can move beyond this, whatever that takes, to get you some relief. Does that make sense? And then what they say is, of course she did not. But I call to your attention, he did not know the of course she did not part. He had to walk forward in faith. And the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So the guiding principle is, if what I'm about to do is going to affect the lives of others, I first need their consent. Does that make sense? And then it says, if we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. Did you notice the order? Bring, get permission, bring the circle of support in the world around me, then go to the one who controls the world, ask for help, I need willingness to move through this, and I will get a conviction, and it will be, this drastic step is indicated, therefore I must not shrink. I've been infused with power now. Does that make sense? How many of you have had that happen for you and you didn't have it laid out so clearly? Why people don't read this book, I don't know, regardless of what you need to be released from, because this is a path to release from bondage. And I'm not talking about getting out of prison and being in the same old game. I'm talking about free of you in the hole. I hear those testimonies from you guys every day. So I know this power goes wherever you are and wherever you're receiving it. And all of you on the yards tonight, don't you worry about any of the nonsense you're hearing on the yards, because the devil's a liar. We've been through it before. There is a table with the enemies of us going to be at our feet while we eat. And I include you in the we. Okay. So, this brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. Follow the storyline. He's out having a few drinks. Any of you ever go out and have a few drinks, get a little tipsy, and then maybe overpromise? Maybe someone gave you a little money for something you were going to do in the future. And then somehow in your possession there was an evaporative way of that money that was inexplicable. It says he subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. 
He felt that he'd done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. So he's got all these things going on in his head. Think about all the attacks on your head. You know you've done something. You know it's dishonest. You don't want a cop to it because then what's going to happen here, here? Any of you ever been in a storm like that? Look at who I'm talking to. So he said, what right had he to involve those dependent upon him? Question mark, go inward. What right did he have? Guiding principles, none without their permission. I got principles to go to now, right? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rifle? Question mark, how could he? Going to need some courage in the form of willingness, or willingness in the form of courage. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. He was one of the original Oxford members, never really became an AA. He sort of sided with the Oxford people. So his church life was more important to him than fellowship, the budding fellowship at that time. And so what he's talking about is he couldn't go to church anymore, and that was his support because of what he'd done. And what he had done is taken money from this guy for the church fund. And then he said, Cat didn't give it to me. So this is why he's so concerned and where he needs to go into the spirit to find all the people he deceived because he didn't even know who, who all he cheated. He took the money and drank it. Any of you ever take the money and drink it? Shoot it, smoked it? So he couldn't do that without going into the spirit. And I told you all that story so you understand what happened because you need to understand what happened to understand why we live in faith around here. So I said, after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks rather than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. Creator in the book is with a capital C. They're talking about a title. They're talking about a principle. And I mean A-L, not P-L-E. <laughs> he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. So he took that secret before the congregation. He told them that he had taken the money and misspent it, any of you got a church family or did have it one time can recognize how hard that would be. That would be very hard, wouldn't it? How many of you have stolen the seventh tradition money from your recovery group? Those of us that have done that, we can tell you that's a very hard admission to go make. Yes? He did it anyway, even though it was hard. He followed the guiding principles, and they told you the thief of the church fund became the most trusted citizen of the town through the power of God. That's what they're witnessing. Which is exactly what's happening to all you men and women who are programming here. Whatever your past is, it's erased. Keep walking in it. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Any of you? Yeah. If you still got a domestic, <laughs> right? Okay. 
Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. I know, not us, right? We doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people, but drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. Where's my meth addicts? Really complicated, isn't it? <laughs> you don't even know which home you're in, huh? <laughs> After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. So they're telling you what he's seeing in the natural, then they're asking me to go inward. How could she be anything else? Given what's been going on in her life and the lives of everybody who's watching, how could she be anything else with this train wreck coming home every day? Maybe if I'd bothered to come home. So it says the, the husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. Any of you know what they're talking about? How many of you sobered up for a little while and went through that? Now I, I'm not drinking or anything. He commences to look around the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Christie's Cabaret. <laughs> Sean's bearing witness. He's not giving suggestions. Perhaps he's having a secret with an exciting, an exciting affair with a girl who understands. Have any of you ever met he or she? The one who understands. So what it says is, in fairness, we must say that she may understand, but it is not her understanding that is in question here. What it says is, what are we going to do about a thing like that? So I'm going to have to go inward. What am I going to do? And I'm going to have to risk conviction, aren't I? Because I'm doing what I want to do. I don't want to hurt her. I just want to get what I want. Yeah. Or am I alone in that? Do you guys understand? <laughs> a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. Who's the we they're talking about? The first 100. They're not talking about you. This is not a book for you till you pick it up and enter the manner of living. I will tell you that this entire center is based on this manner of living described in this book. Regardless of any folklore you hear, I was here before the beginning, as was Karen, as was Chap, as was Denise, as with Maddie, as with Wayne, as with many people in the room, and I'm telling you, that we did this because one convict properly armed with the facts about himself can generally win the confidence of another convict in a few hours. And until such an accommodation is reached, nothing good can happen. That's a quote from the book. They just inserted alcoholic where we, but we know we restore from any human condition that anybody has because of this manner of living and the power we discover in us as a result. Okay, so it says that whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Question mark. No. <laughs> wow, I got a no chorus. No yeses? Nobody wants to commit this early? Question mark means goes inward, right? So there is no right or wrong answer. I'm just teasing. For those of you who were thinking, well, yeah, maybe I should, or maybe I shouldn't, who's there? 
How many of you thought you were really slick and nobody knew about any of the stuff you were doing? How many of you discovered later that you had overlooked some of the evidence? <laughs> Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? No. Come on, I need more answers. What? No. Why? Have you received detail and know that doesn't sit well? So we know that would be cruel, wouldn't it? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. How many of you have felt that you should do one thing and then watched yourself do another? So they're going to talk to us about why we want to get empowered in the Spirit so that the Spirit drives not the flesh. Does it make sense? So it says, says, we're sorry for what we've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and now they're giving you the clause many of us use who are not informed in the Spirit, oh, but my situation's different. Does it make sense? And let me make it simple. I behaved badly, not towards one woman, but towards two. One was involved, one I was committed to. When I told her who and what deflected from me, ruined three relationships, because I didn't stand and take it. I was not frank, and I was not open. Does that make sense? And so what you get to do to make that right is stand before a room full of people and admit your human frailties. So it says, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. So how did they find the best course? They did it like I did it. They screwed up. But what we're here to tell you is humans are reluctant to learn from the experience of other humans, but it's possible. And it comes to the power of our witness. We can, you can, avert suffering for hundreds of thousands in the future by the power of your witness. But we must move forward in the spirit, yeah? So it says our design for living is not a one-way street. We're talking about a manner of living now. We're fully embracing it, yes? It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. Do not tell her that. Let her, let her discover that on her own. And I only say that half in jest. How many of you have told somebody, confided in them, how angry or how hurt you were, and they told you, well, you shouldn't feel that way? Did that help? No. No. It's not a proper witness, is it? Okay. So... It's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. So it says, perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. So who's an outsider? Yeah, and really, it's ultimately going to come down to me and the creator who knows what's going on with both of us, Right? Okay, so it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Guys, please listen to the instruction. I can't pray 
for them and not mean it or it means nothing. Prayers I don't care about mean nothing to the Creator. I can't move forward based on a lie. So I need to focus on their happiness and pray for their happiness in this difficult situation. And in that process of focusing on others, a window opens into my consciousness and power can flow through me into them. Does that make sense? So, so it says, keeping it always in sight that we're dealing with the most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. I'm not going to convince someone hurt by my behavior that they should feel differently about me. My actions and the outcomes are going to convince them if they're to be convinced. If we have no such complication, there's plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Any of you ever heard that? At least I'm sober. Does that make any sense in light of your lived experience? How many of you got sober for a time and then weren't? Got clean for a time and then weren't? So clearly, they're going to need to be something more or I'm going to return from whence I came. Okay, so certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he's yet a long way from being, making good to the wife or parents, whom for years he's so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today, would perhaps be dead. How many of you can feel their words from 80 years ago and know that if people hadn't been there for you to land you would probably not have had the outcomes that you've apparently had. So it says the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. So they're conjuring an image for us. How many of you now as you look back on your addictive history and your behavioral history can see how you were a storm tearing the house apart? That's the picture they want to paint for us. And then it says hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. I cannot live in those atmospherics knowing the harm I've caused, feeling the disappointment and brokenness of the people whom my actions have broken. Atmospherics matter, guys. You understand why we go to so much trouble around here to have praise playing 24-7 and all the food you can eat and try and pour love into you all the time? This is a place of abundance. We're going re to resurrect those dead relationships, but not till we get you out of the grave. Does that make sense? So he's like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? So they're painting a picture of how silly we can be. Denise tells a story about inviting everyone all across the country to come to her when she had, was cleaned up for about this long, once upon a time. And the whole family came for a holiday party, and somewhere in the middle of it, she got a case uh, I got to get out of here's and she took the garbage out and was gone for a week <laughs> and then she walked back in a week later 
While they were all still sitting there, madder than hell that they had given up their holiday to travel across country to a house that she wasn't in. And she looked at him and went, what? <laughs> Any of you relate? Yeah. Yeah. Any grand wind stopped blowing. I have arrived. <laughs> yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead and we must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. Because I've done an inventory and I now see the part I played in all of it. Does that make sense? I now can have that conversation. Being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that your own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. So I'm asking for vision. I'm asking to see patience, kindness, tolerance, and love through these eyes because they're a reflection of these eyes. And then I'm walking in that way. Does that make sense? The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live on spiritual principles, we feel we not, ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. I'm going to stop there tonight. We're going to get into some more stuff next week, but I want you to claim that promise. Whoever it is you're worried about how they think of you, they will change in time. To those of you following us online in the yards, ADCRR, Access, Governor Hobbs, you will change in time.